Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I was walking down this old overgrown road just after sunset. I was hunting with my dad, but he was like a couple hours up the trail besides me. Because the area we were hunting in is known for cougars, I was carrying a pistol along with my three hundred caliber savage hunting rifle. We were black-tailed deer hunting. Anyways, along the way up, I got this really spooky feeling. I picked up my pace and grabbed my flashlight out of my backpack. I kept on walking. Then after a good twenty minutes of walking, I unchamber my rifle and sling it so it's easier to carry because it's been thirty minutes past sunset. I'm still walking. I got like a mile left on the trail. That spooky feeling just keeps on getting more intense. I start picking up my pace. Eventually I hear a loud stick break to my left behind me, up on top of the hill. Turn around and shine my light and see it for a second, and I swear it looked like a cougar, so I got out my pistol and loaded the chamber. I shouted loudly at it to try to scare it off. Seemed like it worked. I put the safety back on and holstered the weapon. I start jogging, only like one-fourth mile left. 
then like 100 feet before I get to the end of a road. A jackrabbit hops out and starts flying my way. Me being spooked as shit, I pulled my pistol and shot at it twice. I hit it once and it went down. As it's clearly dead, I run the truck, where my father is waiting as he's scrambling to grab his rifle to see what the F happened. As I run up to him, he asks what the F was that, and I tell him. He then tells me to calm down and helps me take off my backpack. After ten minutes or so, we go back to go collect the rabbit, but it's missing. I see the pool of blood where it died right next to some cougar tracks. We don't hunt there anymore. I grew up in rural Oregon in the Coast Range. This is a mountainous area that is technically a northwest rainforest. Heavy undergrowth untouched in most of the spots that we spent time in as kids. We weren't afraid of the forest. Our house backed right up against it. Atop that, we had a guard dog that would start barking like a maniac if anyone or thing wandered near the property. Well, my friends and I were playing that stupid game at twilight where you shoot an arrow in the air and then run around hoping it doesn't fall and pierce your brain. A novice archer. Haha, we all were shot one arrow that went way off and landed out somewhere in the trees. My two friends and I wandered into the forest towards it, but stopped looking almost immediately, seeing a strange green glow. The glow we found while trudging in deeper was due to worms on leaves. Glowworms are a thing, apparently, and a surprise, because this was the first time we'd seen them. Well, we did what kids do, started collecting them. The next moment is frozen in my head because of its abruptness. Head down, pursing the leaves for worms. A loud crashing started up just up the mountain from us. This wasn't far away, though. It was really close, meaning whatever it was, it had been there while we rifled through the plants. Two of us saw the cause, something very large and on two legs running down the hill at us. I would have thought human, except I could see the outline, and this thing had no head over its shoulders. So hulking, headless thing running at us through the sword ferns and the fallen trees. We got the F out of there. Not to mention we weren't far from home, maybe 5,000 feet. I don't remember hearing anything past the run which came out of someone's mouth. My parents didn't believe me. There really aren't any bears out in that area, just cougars and bobcats. I went back out the next day to verify that both the glowworms and the headless thing were real, but found evidence of neither. It was later on in my life that I saw the worms again, but never the headless. Whatever. Now keep in mind that I am very skeptical and don't even trust my own memory. If there was something like that in the woods, we'd have found some evidence. No one was camping in that area because, well, we'd have seen them at some other point. I grew up wandering the forest constantly, but the primal fear of being chased remains. Good day. Recently, I went on a camping trip and ended up camping in the Black Hills National Forest in South Dakota. Nothing out of the ordinary besides a warning of bad weather and a general uneasy feeling going in. I assumed it was just anxiety from driving all day and the fact that I haven't tent camped without a group in years. I'm outdoorsy and trusted myself. 
I'm extremely respectful to land, especially forest, and was picking up garbage and burying waste when I found it. Me and my girl arrived to the site rather late. It's last minute, and we decided to camp not too far off a dirt road in a designated camping spot with a tent and blankets in my truck. We set up the tent and watched the sunset before falling asleep in the tent. I have the feeling to leave my firearm locked up in my truck for some reason and decide to listen to my gut on this one. We crawl into bed and drift off to the sound of rain in the forest. I knew it was the anniversary of the Deadwood Flood, but I don't pay too much mind to it. I wake at a unknown time to the sound of the tent zipper being opened. I sit straight up and see a face of pure black staring at me in the darkness with a massive grin on its face. All I can make out is eyes and a smile. I'm frozen in terror and blink a couple times to find it gone and the tent untouched. My girl who was laying next to me asked me if I'm okay and I just say it was a nightmare, but I was okay and not to worry about me and to go back to bed. She falls asleep and I lay staring at the rain cover frozen in shock for a few hours. I've had night terrors or hallucinations but nothing like this. It was too real, and it was too vivid to be a dream. This is her first time camping, so I decided not to tell her in fear of scaring her away from something we both discovered. We enjoyed together. I taught her to leave everything better than how you found it and how to be respectful and responsible, and there was no bad intentions from either of us. I haven't paid much mind to it until tonight after talking about it with my roommate. I took it more as a warning than a threat. I've had spiritual encounters multiple times in my life, all of which being positive and giving me guidance, but this was different. Not a single word was spoken, and I was genuinely scared for the first time. We left in a hurry with the excuse of getting on the road. I'm still freaked out. I'm mostly seeking guidance on recourses and to get opinions on what this could be. Don't normally follow this kind of community, so... Excuse me if I missed anything. Feel free to ask questions. I work as an inspection clerk for a real estate agency in a medium-sized town, mining town. Needless to say, I see a lot of houses. It's worthy noting that a lot of houses are creepy as hell. With big inspections, I could be in the house till it's getting dark out. In my job, I take pictures of a range of categories in an area, for example, walls, ceiling, windows, floor, cupboards, you get the picture. Noises, ticks, and tacks are common accurates. I attribute them to the house settling or the roof getting hot and cold, etc. One day, one of the agents comes to me and asks me to go do an inspection on a house she was too freaked out to do herself. This house had my hair on edge the moment I got in the front door. I would describe my feeling as an urge to get out or the, that I am in danger. From the start, my senses are up in arms. They normally are, as I am always aware, that someone could come in behind me. I always lock the gates and main doors behind me because of this. Putting my feelings aside, I start my work, doing the entrance to the dining room and get to the living room. There's a door to the front yard in the living room, and I note the, the windows, door, and curtains fixtures are of an old style. So I note the house must be pretty old. 
I start by hearing someone's feet shuffling coming from the hallway behind me, like the morning in slippers going to make coffee with a yawn type of shuffle. I pause for a bit and listen, but it doesn't happen again, so I go back to work. Down the hallway, there is a mirror at the end, with two rooms on my right and two bathrooms to my left. I go into the first room on the right. I notice a strong odor and think it must be the carpet. Turns out it was rotten. A lot of stains on the carpet, and as I'm typing this out, I hear a voice. I thought it was the agent checking up on me, so I, I walk to the front door and see nothing. So I go back to work, feeling a little more on edge. I go back to working, marking down the stains on the carpet, and this time hear a distinctive, No, I stop dead in my tracks and start looking around the room, really freaked out. I finish the room and head to the main bedroom. I finish up the room without much happening. I'm walking out of the room into the hall, typing notes on my phone, out of the corner of my eye. I see something that looks like a person in the mirror, directly on my right. Standing at the end of the hall, I turn to the mirror and it's gone. I look down the hall and there nothing. I let out quite in big gasp as this happened and chuckled at myself. Heading into the room in front of me that leads to an entertainment area, I hear the shuffling again from the hall. Now I'm really standing there listening. The first bedroom's door slams shut, panicking and going through the whole house trying to find someone messing with me. Nothing comes up. I hear a female voice loudly saying, move. This time I heard it. I really just freaking heard that. I start to head to the front door because at this stage my nerves have had it. As I get to the front door, the first room's door that I have opened again slams shut. So now I'm noping it out of the house. I stand outside collecting my nerves to go back in. I say a prayer for myself and go back into the entertainment area. Nothing much happens after that, just some shuffling and haul as before, but eventually I'm too far to hear it. I finish the inspection and start heading out, unlocking the front door I hear now. It's in the same voice. By this point I'm freaking done with this and I just say back, yeah. Yeah, I'm leaving and hightail it out if they're as fast as I could. Later I learned the man staying there had lost his job and wife in the same month. His mother was sickly and in bed most of the time in that first room, hence the smell and the stains. I am unsure if she passed away in the house. All I know is he went missing for four months, not paying rent, and was evicted. The maintenance guy comes to me after the work is done and said, Dude, that house is freaky, telling me his guys were telling gim stories about stuff happening like light switches, turning on by themselves, and moans and noises the house if now being rented by the mines for the workers. I haven't heard from them yet. I saw a Sasquatch in 2003 cross the Foothills Parkway outside of Maryville, Tennessee. It was huge. The smell it left was a cross of skunk, dead carcass, and swamp mud. It had to be nine feet tall with shoulders as wide as four feet. Stringy hair, but you could see the muscles underneath flex as it moved. Its thighs were round as a tree trunk, hardly a neck to it and a cone. Type head, long arms, I would describe it as a half gorilla and half. Neanderthal man-type animal. 
I never gave a second thought to a Bigfoot Sasquatch or whatever until then. I do not care to see another ever again in person. People are stupid trying to track these animals down. I was off duty when this happened, but I was also in my uniform still and in a police car. I was driving to the gym and I get a call from dispatch saying there was an officer down at the local high school where a kid had been stabbed by another student. This made me drive faster since any school violence is extremely dangerous for anybody involved. Even though I'm off shift, I feel like it's my personal duty to attend. As I'm pulling into the parking lot, which is adjacent to the football field, I see a massive black figure running along the fence line about 15 feet off the ground. I had to do a double take. It looked like two legs, but then there were four. It looked almost human, but too big. Its arms were outstretched, as if trying to climb or something, or just stretch out. It then leapt from one side of the fence to the other, effortlessly, which made no sense. It was easily 10 to 15 feet in the air. It then ran over to the top of the car, and I have no idea what or who this thing was, but it let out this strange guttural yell that made my skin crawl. I can write all of this up in my report when I get back, but I don't think they'll believe me. I figured I would submit this anyway because it's been too long, and I still remember this thing vividly. I'm a cop. My zone partner and I park our patrol vehicles at the bottom of a long dirt road that leads to an abandoned school. We only do this on night shift when it starts to get slow around 1 a.m. It's a relatively safe place for us to catch up on paperwork or watch some YouTube. We have had several odd experiences there from strange lights that maneuver quickly in the woods to possible UFO sightings. We even found a body down there years ago that still has not been identified. But that's not even the most terrifying. This was around October of 2022 p.m. It was a dead night. Crime was low that time of year, partly because of sea and partly because it was cold. We had parked our vehicles side by side facing opposite directions so that the driver's side windows line up. This is common as our line of work. My partner gets dispatched to a noise complaint and leaves. I use this time to step out and relieve my bladder. As I'm standing outside, I hear a whistle in the woods that are across the abandoned school grounds. These woods are roughly 100 yards from where I am parked. The whistle was attuned like it came from a human mouth, and it was oddly loud. We do have a homeless problem in my city, but not in the area I patrol. But... I assume a homeless person must have wandered their way to the south side of the city. I get back in my car and roll my window up, anxiously awaiting my partner's return. My partner returns after about 20 minutes. I tell him the story and we move on to other topics. I'm a believer in the paranormal, but he is a skeptic. Within about 30 minutes, he decides that he needs to pee. So he steps out and walks to the rear of his patrol car. He's back there for roughly five seconds. And boom, we hear it again. A loud whistle to the tune of a slow song. The whistle lasts for maybe ten seconds. He walks back to my window and his face is a pale, milky white. 
So as cops do, we decided to investigate. We grab our flashlights and start walking slowly through the field. That grass is up to our waist. We get to about halfway in the field when we hear it again, but this time it sounds like it's coming from our right side, where the school is. As we are standing there with our flashlights shining on the school, we begin to see the grass start to move. There is no wind. The grass is not moving around us. It looks like something is crawling in the field. The grass is moving slow in a straight path towards us. We begin walking towards the movement. At this point, we both have our hands on our firearms. The air is eerily still, and you could see our breath from the cold. I can tell that my partner is uneasy. We're walking very slow and quiet. As we get about 20 feet away from the moving grass, it stops. And we hear the whistle coming from exactly where our flashlights are shining on the now still grass. Now we are frozen in fear. We are too scared to speak to each other. It feels like minutes pass, but was probably only a few seconds. I go to take a step forward, and all of a sudden the grass starts to move again, this time away from us towards the wood line. Only this time it's fast, too fast for us to run after, so we just stand and watch. We watch as the, the moving grass reaches the woods. We both have our lights focused on it, and again the whistle coming from the woods where the grass just stopped moving. Only this time, the whistle is quiet. This is the part that shocks us. We are now shining our lights into the woods. There are several large trees in our view. This thing stands up. It looked like a child, but not. It's hard to explain. Despite our lights shining directly onto the figure, it seemed amassed in darkness. Before we could even call out, it stepped behind a tree and was gone. We gathered up the courage to go after it. As we get to the tree, there is nothing, no footprints, no leaves crunching. Like you would expect to hear in autumn, it was like it vanished into nothing. We spent the next hour checking reports for missing children in the area, and we could find nothing. The creepiest part is that it must have been running on all fours when it was in the grass. We have a children's psychiatric hospital in the city but they had no reports of escapees. To this day, we cannot explain it. And to this day, we continue to park there. Three years have passed, and we never had another experience like that. But my partner is now a believer, and everyone at the department thinks we are crazy. During my ongoing research into the many Bigfoot encounters that have occurred in the Taney County, Missouri area over the years, I posted a request for information on the timeline of a local Facebook group. I was seeking information on Booger place names and received a message from Darla concerning Booger Knob near Rockaway Beach. I saw something a few years ago, but I couldn't really explain what it was, and my ex-husband couldn't either. It definitely wasn't any kind of animal either of us had ever seen, but when we stopped and turned around, it was gone. Just took it as something we couldn't explain and never really thought too much about it. It was probably about eight feet tall, kind of dark gray with a little brown. Had a mane kind of like a male lion but shorter hair around the body and legs. 
was walking upright on its back legs, but once we got close to our car, it got on all fours and took off extremely fast. We slowed down, stopped to turn around immediately, and drove back and forth a few times, trying to see what it was, but it was completely gone or hiding. Never saw it again. I'm not saying what I saw was Bigfoot, but I know I'm not crazy. My ex and I both saw something neither of us had ever seen before in our lives. I can't explain it. I spent a lot of time in the woods, and that was definitely a first. Hunter Slash Mountaineer here. It was a chilly December morning. I hiked in, pre-dawn, taking about an hour and a half to go three miles off the beaten trails. Got to my nest about half an hour before sunrise and started to settle in. The wind kicked up and a fog rolled and that was thicker than milk. Within a few minutes, my visibility was five. I'm sitting tight, huddled up against the freezing wind when I start to hear twigs snapping close to me. For no apparent reason, what is normally a rapturous sound indicative of an imminently successful hunt sent a frosty chill down my spine. I chambered around in my lever action 30-30 as quietly as I could and lay flat on my back tucked against a fallen tree. The rustling was moving closer through the fog, but I couldn't see anything. The sun was starting to peak over the mountains to my east, and visibility was starting to increase. The rustling of twigs and leaves was sporadic, sometimes directly in front of me, sometimes behind or beside me. I remember laying there, rifle across my chest, thinking to myself how silly it was to react like such a coward. I rationed with myself that bears and mountain lions are a rarity where I was, and I had likely stumbled into a herd of white tail that had bedded down. I decided to sit up. The rustling stopped immediately. As it was fully dawn by now, I was looking through the fog for the outline of my prey, which I had assured myself was literally all around me. It wasn't. Seemingly, nothing was. By now the fog had faded away and it was apparent to me that I was alone in those woods. I hunted all that day without seeing so much as a squirrel. Around three in the afternoon, after fighting the wind in an abnormally cold day and not wanting to hike out by flashlight, I decided it was time to start back to the truck. Walking out of those woods was the most uneasy I have ever felt. Lawfully, once you make it back to the trail, you're supposed to clear the chamber of your rifle. Not that day. What is normally a stroll through the woods I undertook with the seriousness of an animal being stalked. I would walk, then stop and listen. I never heard or saw anything during my retreat, but I could feel eyes on me. I was about 100 feet away from my truck when I rounded the last corner and saw hanging at eye level from a tree by a noose, a stuffed bear in a blaze orange jacket. I'm a giant, broad-shouldered outdoorsman, but that one shook me something fierce. Well, I'm a trucker, and a lot of my routes take me through Indian reservations. I won't sleep on a reservation unless it's a truck stop anymore because of this. Short story, but I was about 30 miles east of Tuba City and was shut down for the night as some podunk gas station in the middle of nowhere. 
I just started to get into my book when all of a sudden I hear what sounds like people hitting the outside of my truck with open hands everywhere. It's on my roof, 13 foot 5 inches about. My walls, the back of the sleeper, sides of my sleeper. I grabbed my bowie knife and bolted out my door, ready to scare some kids. There was nothing. The ground was dirt and a little wet, but when I looked at the ground, there were no footprints. My truck was dusty, but there were no handprints. That was one of the scariest things that's happened to me on the road. So like I said, if I'm on a res, unless there's a truck stop, I will not shut down. I was stationed at Fort Irwin National Training Center, an army post not very far from Death Valley in the Mojave Desert. It was a pretty big post with family housing and such, so not quite secluded. I was Air Force, attached to a direct air support unit at Fort Irwin. Our maintenance compound was on the edge of the post. Our actual shop was fairly secluded. I had stayed late at work one winter night. When I shut down the shop, I turned off all the lights and stepped outside. There was a winter overcast thing going on. With so much cloud cover sitting so low that it was almost a fog. No moon, no starlight. And since there were no exterior lights in this area, it was extremely dark. It was so dark that I had to sort of feel my way to the car. I had to feel the door to find the keyhole for my key. This was back in the early 90s, and I had an older car without the automatic door lock. Of course, it didn't help that I had stepped out from a brighter area into the night, so my eyes hadn't adjusted yet. I just didn't think it was a big deal as soon as I got into the... Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style car, started it, and turned on my lights. Everything would be fine. So I got into the car, shut the door, put on my seatbelt, and started it up. I then turned on my lights. There, in front of the car, sitting peacefully, alertly watching me, was a coyote. Looking around, I see another three or four coyotes staring at me, lounging around like they were in their living room. I had walked right between two of them to get to my car. I jumped. I may have squeaked a little grunted in manly concern, out of surprise. I stared at them. They all stared at me in a sort of bored interest. Then I put the car into gear and went home. From then on, I brought a flashlight to work just in case. As a retired police officer, aged 58, I returned home with my wife on April 18, 1996, in Wamaran, Queensland. Stepping into our house, a peculiar smell of sulfur filled the air, catching my attention. Intrigued, I began investigating, but found nothing visibly out of the ordinary. 
Meanwhile, my wife proceeded to the main bedroom, turning on the lights in the hallway and the bedroom itself. She then made her way back towards the living room at the other end of the house. Curiosity getting the better of me, I followed along the hallway, approaching the spot where Jenny, my wife, had just passed. Suddenly, I walked into an area enveloped in an intense coldness. As I reached out to touch it, a strong electrical current surged through me, causing me to stumble backward in shock. Overwhelmed by a sense of revulsion and fear, I quickly retreated to the entrance of the hallway, attempting to regain my composure. Jenny, curious about my experience, ventured along the hallway herself and encountered a similar phenomenon. Undeterred, I gathered my courage and made another attempt to walk down the hall only to be met with yet another jolt of electrical discharge. Jenny and I discussed the situation at length, repeatedly trying to pass through the area but encountering the same electrical discharge each time. Throughout this ordeal, a presence seemed to linger at the southern end of the hallway. Our toy poodle sensed that something was amiss, and I noticed that when I gazed down the hall, the guanine at the back of my eyes reflected a strange bright orange color instead of the usual vibrant green. The presence of this entity emitted a sensation similar to static electricity, causing goosebumps to erupt on our skin. The area where the entity resided was exceedingly cold and discomforting. Direct contact with it drained us of energy momentarily and made normal breathing difficult. Later that evening, at around 8.30 p.m., our son Adrian and his partner Petra arrived. Eager to investigate, Adrian entered the hallway and experienced the same electrifying discharge. By that time, the entity had moved approximately eight meters. Now positioned at the northern end of the hall, Petra, who was heavily pregnant, encountered the entity, feeling as though she had been brushed or lightly struck, but thankfully unharmed. As time passed, all four of us had multiple direct encounters with the entity, which seemed to move with purpose throughout our house. Petra's encounters were less intense compared to the experiences of the other witnesses. At 9.30 p.m., the entity forcefully ejected Adrian from a chair. Jenny had a severe accidental direct contact with it momentarily becoming trapped within its grasp. She displayed visible signs of distress, struggling to breathe, an elevated pulse rate, weakness, and disorientation. We checked the surroundings of the house, but found nothing unusual, except for a column of warm air at the southern end. Throughout this period, no discernible traffic or external sounds could be heard within or around the house. Adrian later had another intense encounter with the entity, after which he and Petra decided to return to their own home. Around midnight, we witnessed a ball of light energy pass across the screen of our television set. An independent witness confirmed seeing a massive orange light suspended above our house at precisely 12.20 a.m. A neighbor reported that her house trembled and shook during that time, while telemetry from the water storage reservoir across the road inexplicably crashed and then restored itself. We also heard loud clicking sounds in groups of three, repeatedly resonating throughout the house. In the days that followed, some of us developed symptoms resembling radiation sickness, including severe headaches, flu-like symptoms, sore eyes, and joint pain.
Three of us experienced chronic and permanent tinnitus. Furthermore, I noticed a brown pigmented stain on both of my legs and a circular mark on the top of my left foot. Several rocks in our garden showed signs of energy impact, with one even exploding into fine powder. A candle had melted selectively, separating the stearic acid component and crystallizing it. Moss on the concrete path exhibited burn marks, and two small sections of the path appeared to have melted or glazed. Additionally, two of the witnesses, including myself, began developing substantial psychic abilities. The events that unfolded within our home during that time left us bewildered and forever changed, haunted by the mysteries of that night. One of my cousin's brothers told me this story. He works in construction, and he told me a story about three of his friends that he works with. The three guys are Mexican. Of the three of them, one is an older guy. This story takes place east of Flagstaff, Arizona, heading towards Lip. I would say about 20 miles from Flagstaff. There are a lot of cinder cones hills. In that area, there's a stretch of highway that goes down a long hill. The three guys were driving from Flagstaff one night. I don't remember where he said they were going, but it was late and the older man was driving. They started down the long hill. When they were halfway down, they witnessed something very crazy and weird. They saw a centaur, half man or half horse, jump into the center of the road. They said it was very big, at least seven to eight feet tall. It had long hair and it was carrying a wooden club in one hand. They said it had a very mean-looking, evil face. The sight of it freaked them out, and the guy that was driving swerved off the road, and they rolled the truck. They crawled out of the vehicle, and the older guy that was driving was having a heart attack. They called 911, and soon they were taken to Flagstaff Medical Center. They didn't tell anyone about what they witnessed because they feared nobody would believe them. The older man recovered, and they all kept asking each other if they really saw the centaur. They all agreed that they all saw it. They told my cousin about it, and he said he went to a Navajo medicine man. He asked the medicine man about it. The man told him that it is true. He said that there are seven centaurs that people have seen over the years. The one that they saw with the long hair is the evil one, the mean one. I have heard stories that friends told me when we were kids growing up. I wasn't sure if they were real, but after hearing this, I think they are real. My cousin said the three men are still traumatized by the experience, and they said they will never travel again during the night. Anyway, I wanted to share this story with the group. So this happened to my cousin, and not me. He owns a house in the city, and his parents live maybe an hour or so away from him on a nice little chunk of property, few acres, not incredibly remote, but it's somewhere where people won't usually be driving at night. So I guess he was doing some renos on his house and decided to stay with his parents while the work was being done, and so one night he's driving home, and when he's pretty close, he notices a car come up super quick behind him. He moves over a bit so they can pass him, but they don't. As he's getting closer to the house, I guess he's starting to freak out a bit. So his plan is to just get home and run inside. So, 
He gets to the start of the driveway, kind of a long country driveway, and another car comes from the other direction and tries to block him. Now he knows something is up, and when he's close to the house, he starts yelling for my uncle to grab his gun. So he makes it inside and locks the door. This is one of those sort of heavy metal doors with no windows, as there's black bears in the area, and my uncle comes downstairs half asleep, panicked and ready to shoot whoever is out there. The guys get to the door and start like, full on, trying to kick it down. My uncle makes some threats. My aunt calls the cops, and the guys just kind of leave. No idea what the F was going on. I'm guessing some kind of a robbery, but who knows. Back in 1988, I lived many miles out in the Arizona desert. At that time, I worked two jobs and a lot of hours. Each month, I worked my schedules out so that I had four days in a row off. During this time, I would mess around with my hot rod and race to make a little extra money. I was always doing stuff to my car to improve speed, performance whatever edge I could get. Well, on one of my days off, I installed a new carb and dialed it in. I always took my car out to the desert to test it. On this particular day, I had worked until evening, but I took it out for a test anyway. So I was having fun testing her out, and it got dark on me. Instead of trying to get back home, I decided to just stay and sleep in my car. I was just driving around, finding a place to park and sleep. I came across this old adobe and decided I'd check it out and sleep. It was kind of small and an old ruin. I found an old fireplace inside and it looked more comfortable than sleeping in my car. I grabbed a flashlight, turned on my headlights, and gathered a little brush and some small bit of wood. I grabbed a blanket from my car and an old cushion I had for a pillow, so I built a little fire and settled in. In the morning, I woke early, gathered my stuff, and headed back to an old 1950s trailer where I lived. A friend stopped by to visit later in the day. He had lived in that area all his life and was very familiar with the desert there. So he asks, where was I last night since he had stopped by with some whiskey, but you weren't home? So I told him the story of where I was. When I got to the part about the adobe, he listened. Then he asked about the adobe. I told him where it was, and he said that there is no adobe out there. I said, yeah, I slept there. He still said no adobe. So I said, jump in the car, I'll show you. So we drove around, and I found the spot, but there was no adobe. My tire tracks were there. I could still see where I built the fire. Everything is there, but no adobe. He's quiet as I'm confused, looking around. I said to him that it was here last night. He says that he's been here all his life and knows this desert. There's been no adobe here. He says that I went somewhere, maybe into the past, but there isn't no adobe here. He's never seen one here, ever in his life. So I don't know what happened that night. I wasn't drunk or high, and I know it was there. So I looked for it for years, but never found it again. Does anyone out there? know what happened that night. This happened when I was 15 years old back in 1979. 
It doesn't matter how long ago an incident like this occurs, because once it does, the trauma burns into your brain. I was at Little Pipe Creek in the small town of Flora, Indiana, where I grew up. It was just a mile or so from where the creek empties into the Wabash River. My friends and I hung out there every day during the summer. It was late afternoon, and we had just arrived at our spot. As we approached the creek, I looked up at a tree about 100 feet away, and there is a figure in it. It had long brown hair, and it was swinging from limb to limb, but it was straight up and down, about six feet tall. I'm here with my two other friends. When I notice the figure, I say, what is that? It's not a monkey, but it's swinging like a monkey, but it's not a human either. Back then, we didn't know what Bigfoot was, and this sighting lasted a good five minutes. We're sitting there watching it. I had no fear in me at all. Then, all of a sudden, I just had the most fear I've ever felt in my life, and I told my friends, We gotta go. We have to go right now. I think the Bigfoot or whatever somehow put that sense of fear in me. The sensation was so sudden and strong. So we take off up the nearby hill and head home. I'm going faster than my friends. I'm up in the weeds, and I'm scared. And then my friend said, Go, go, go. A man is chasing us. A man is chasing us. I thought he was joking. I looked around at his face, and I've never seen such a look of fear on his face before. We lived about half a mile away, and when we got home, I go. A guy was chasing us. He goes. Well, it looked like a man, but it was big and hairy. We were scared to return to the spot, but a few weeks later we gathered our courage and walked back to the creek. When we got there, it looked like a bomb had gone off. Several of the small and medium-sized trees were uprooted and tossed into the creek. But the first thing we noticed as we approached was the unmistakable odor of decay and death. We looked at the destruction as we stood several yards away from the creek. That is when we noticed the source of the stench. There were at least three deer carcasses and several small dead animals strewn throughout the site. We were getting ready to leave after only a few minutes. Then I started to again feel a strong and sudden urge to run from the area. That's when we heard a horrific scream coming from the surrounding woods. We instinctively ran toward home. That was the last time that I ever went back to the location. Several years later, after I had moved away, I ran into one of my friends who had experienced the incident with me. He stayed in Flora, got married, and built a house. He told me that the big hairy man had been seen and reported along Little Pipe Creek by other witnesses. When I was a graduate student, I needed to travel up into the Arctic Circle in Canada to collect some atmospheric data that couldn't be collected close to civilization. The story that follows is one that I've shared with quite a few people over dinner or drinks, but there's one detail I've always left out when retelling it. This time I'm going to include that detail since it has always bothered me. The facility that was hosting me was a research station 20 kilometer outside of the nearby small town that started life in the 1950s as a rocket launch base. Since then, it has fallen in and out of disuse, so it has a lot of creepy structures like old rocket gantries in shelters that are eerie, along with a collection of connected main buildings. 
This place can get pretty busy during the peak season, as there are polar bears up there. But when I was visiting, was decidedly off-peak, and it was going to be just me and two other researchers staying out there full-time. During the day, there was also a mechanic and a facility manager, but not a lot of life. The nature of the measurements I was taking meant it had to be done late at night, so I set up my equipment at the beginning of the week and set about running the experiments. It was a slightly unnerving experience going from a thriving university campus to a lost-in-time rocket launch base in the middle of the Arctic, and I had a lot of trouble getting used to cooking meals for one or two in the gigantic kitchen meant to feed an army. I was occasionally talking to the two others at the base, but we mostly kept to ourselves. This meant that by Friday I was starting to get pretty bored. I looked around the room I was using as a research post and behind a decommissioned AIM-7 Sparrow rocket in the corner. I found a box of old VHS movies. Score! I rifled through the box and found a few good ones and watched them back to back to get through a particularly dull evening while I waited for the right time to start the night's tests. The final movie I ended up watching was the 1982 classic, the thing which I hadn't seen before but had heard was pretty good. It turns out this was a big mistake, as the movie, spoiler alert, is about researchers isolated in an Arctic base as a body-snatching alien monster tears through them. This set the tone for the night as I have a poor tolerance for horror, suspense movies, but I figured I would go grab a drink with the other researchers who would often be downstairs grabbing coffee at any hour of the night, and then get down to business. I hadn't been down all evening since I had been binge-watching crappy VHS tapes, but the complex seemed quiet. No radios were on. There were no movement sounds. A half-drunk cup of coffee sat on a table beside the crust of a sandwich, but the coffee was cold, as was the automatic coffee pot. No one had been here for hours. I thought this was quite weird, as researchers usually can't go more than half an hour without a fresh cup of coffee. Seeing as it wasn't too late yet, I decided to knock on the door of one of the other researchers' dorm rooms. No answer. I searched the garage and the other connected buildings, but found no one, only the howl of the wind and strange bumping noises from the metal structure creaking and settling. I reasoned that the other two researchers must be out late finishing some field work and hoped they were all right. As creeped out and worried about the others as I was, I had work to do and had to put this out of my mind. I knew that people doing field work took handheld radios with them that had a receiver in the office, so I cranked up the volume to be sure I could hear it in case they needed to get a hold of the bass, which was me at this point. I set to work on my evening data collection that was going to last from just after 10.30 p.m. until about 3 a.m. On this particular run, the first two hours were uneventful in terms of both the scientific data and in terms of the situation at the base. The only change was that a strong wind was whipping up outside, meaning that ice crystals were filling the air and visibility was maybe 10 meters. I was getting very worried about whether the other two researchers were going to get back safely. Shortly after 12.30, things started to pick up on the scanning equipment in the same events that caused the northern lights started to cause activity. Sadly, I couldn't see the northern lights as the driving wind had whipped up too much ice into the air. 
My equipment could still detect it, though, so that was a small victory. As I started to write down the time and intensity information in my log for the particularly strong 1248 event from downstairs I heard shrugged, I jumped, breaking the tip of my pencil. In tipping the chair over, I felt silly for jumping at what was probably just someone slamming a door, but when the clatter of the chair falling subsided, there was nothing again, only the wind. I tentatively went downstairs to see who had come in, but there was no one and no snow or water on the floor. No one entered the main door in hours. I stood stock still and listened carefully for five solid minutes, but heard nothing but the wind. No movement anywhere in the connected buildings of the base. I hate an event without an explanation, so it took me a long time to make myself head back upstairs and resume logging data, but no sooner had I done so than I heard someone shout something. Like, ah, uh, gah? My hair stood on end. I had goosebumps all over. I could tell from the way their shouts sounded that they were in one of the outlying buildings attached to the main base by sheltered hallways. I shouted hello back as I walked downstairs, but coming to a stop by the garage door, I heard nothing back. Once again, just the wind howling. At this point, I was truly freaked out, and having watched the thing just hours earlier was not helping. I went into the garage and grabbed a short length of square steel tubing like a club. I spent the next 40 minutes slowly and methodically making my way through the base's buildings. I didn't find any water or snow at any of the entrances, no footprints or other signs of entry, and no signs of life anywhere. There was nobody here but me. I went back up to my work area, set the metal bar down on my lap, and basically just stared at the doorway until dawn. The scientifically interesting events were over, and I dared not turn my back or asleep, as I had a creeping suspicion that there was someone else in the base that meant to do me harm. The next morning, I finally got out of the chair and did another walk around, and just like the night before, I found absolutely nothing that indicated that anyone else was there. I was decidedly freaked out about the shouts I had heard the night before and the fact that the other researchers hadn't returned. I knew going outside this time of year was dangerous because of polar bears, but I risked it and took a perimeter walk around the base anyway just to see if I could spot signs of the others. I found nothing, pure, beautiful, empty Arctic desolation everywhere, with the ancient launch buildings in the distance. No tire tracks, no footprints except my own. Not a damn thing. I ended up staying up all day and night Saturday as well, and thankfully there were no more unexplained shouts from distant parts of the complex. I was able to play some TF2 with a friend to relax a little, which was helpful, but I was sad to let him go as I was still completely on edge. There were also no signs of the other researchers whom I was afraid were lost dead at this point. I wrote down everything that had happened as I was sure that when the manager showed up on Monday they were going to be pretty damn suspicious of the new guy claiming the others disappeared without a trace. I finally crashed on Sunday, a nervous, sleep-deprived wreck. I still took the time to stack shit on the stairs leading up to my room, put a dresser against the door, and took my trusty steel-bashing bar to bed with me like a teddy. Bear. 
Monday morning, bright and early, the other staff showed up, and to my extreme surprise, so did the missing researchers. It turns out that they had taken an unplanned trip into the city for the weekend, and no one had bothered to tell me that I was going to be solo at the base. I was quite relieved that they were okay, but I was still really disturbed by the noises I had heard, as there was no freaking way I had imagined them. In retrospect, the noises were very likely caused by the same phenomena I was observing in the atmosphere. When a strong event happens, it can disrupt radio communication, bounce signals around, or trigger some old radios to detect a carrier and blast static. It's quite likely that the noises I heard were that damn radio I'd turned up triggering when those strong events happened. All told, I was glad things turned out the way they did that the other two researchers were safe, and that the noises I heard were probably just the radio embellished by my dumb decision to watch a horror movie about people in the same damn situation. That said, I was still very glad to be out of there the following day, as there was one detail to the experience that just did not add up. Remember that cup of cold coffee and crust I mentioned earlier? It got tidied up sometime on Sunday, as it was not there when I got up bright and early Monday. Now, granted, I was sleep-deprived and stressed the hell out, but I do not remember touching it. In fact, it goes against my philosophy on such matters that people should clean up their own messes. Each of the two researchers, the manager and the mechanic, all said they were in town from Friday night until later in the morning on Monday, so it wasn't them but I am also pretty damn sure that it wasn't me, and that bothers me to this day.